He or she is the best football expert on the planet. I'm playing for pride now. And my pride's gone. We're very passionate people here. We're ready to come for the W, yeah? These girls will smoke you, man. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition edition of the Mirror Gaming Walkthrough, the weekly gaming news show full of spicy takes and juicy gossip. I am gaming content creator at the Mirror, Aaron Potter, and joining me this week I have a whole host of uh, experienced professionals when it comes to the video game world. Making his grand return to the show is uh, gaming content creator Lewis Barton. How are you doing, Lewis? Doing good, thanks. Yeah, great to be back. Uh, been a few weeks since the last minute appearance, so uh, yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah, we thought we'd better bring you out of your FIFA cave and you know let you show your your beautiful face to the people because uh, you know they've been asked. There's been demand within the YouTube comments, I'm sure. Um, and then making his grand debut on the Mirror Gaming walkthrough this week is none other than Scott McCree. He is a gaming freelancer who helps us out at Mirror Gaming on the regular. Scott, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing good, thanks. I'm ready to escape the the news mines and make my face seen for couple hours at least so excited to get going yeah well we we appreciate you uh being here to join us and obviously i just want to clarify we don't lock our you know professionals away in the minds to you know just dwell on video game news stuff all the time um <laughs> but we do let them out of the cave every so often but we got a great uh mirror gaming walkthrough for you this week obviously i am not nathan bliss i'm aaron potter nathan unfortunately cannot be here um he's probably too busy playing fifa maybe lewis can attest to that um but we are streaming on youtube as well as facebook this week so if you've got a comment for us feel free to leave it in the comment section below and we'll have Happily read it out on the show where you uh, can be part of it. Of course, I can already see there's some uh, people having a discussion. Um, so excited. Keep it coming. But on this week's edition of the Mirror Gaming Walkthrough, we've got lots of juicy gaming news stories to dip into. It was a big week in the world of video games, headed up by, of course, Elden Ring DLC being confirmed by From Software. Very exciting because I know people have been waiting a long time for that. And then elsewhere, we're going to be running through the recent PlayStation Sony State of Play, in which we got our first extended look at Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. And obviously that was our first proper look. So we've got plenty to discuss there. And obviously, we've got Lewis Barton, the resident FIFA gaming expert or EA Sports FC, as it is soon to be called, to update us on everything happening in the world of EA's prestige football gaming series. And then finally, if we've got time, it's been a few weeks since we've discussed anything The Last of Us in terms of the HBO show and obviously episode seven. We're nearing the finish line for the first season of HBO's Last of Us. So we're going to have a bit of a recap. We've got people on the pod that have played the game, some who haven't, some who've only watching the TV show. So we've got all kinds of perspectives. But of course, we're not going to bury the lead for the Mirror Gaming walkthrough this week. We're going to kick off with the biggest headline act. And that is, of course, news that Elden Ring DLC has been announced. It's still a way off, though, um, and it's keeping fans excited, uh, especially since there was a recent live stream and it skipped it there. So after a year of speculation, developer from software has announced via Twitter that Elden Ring's first DLC expansion is in development. Named Shadow of the Herald Tree, it's coming to PS5, Xbox Series X, and also surprisingly, PS4 and Xbox One. So they're not leaving last gen behind just yet. Obviously, no official release date was given, but it was a surprise to see the DLC announced almost a week following the official anniversary live stream. There's plenty more details to discuss, but I want to get the guy's instant reaction. Scott, I know you're uh, the resident Elden Ring expert. You've played the game. You've sunk some hours into it. What was your reaction to Elden Ring finally getting its DLC announcement? 
I mean, it's it's long overdue. I, th- I mean, I say that, but this is the biggest game they've ever made. And usually, um, I think Dark Souls 1 was a, exactly a year. Dark Souls 2 was a few months. Dark Souls 3 was about a year. Um, so this is the longest we've ever waited for any DLC to from software game. But hopefully that makes it all the more better. Like, they are lengthy expansions usually, but... Um, for how you Elden Ring is normally, I'm excited to see what you know how they can improve on what they've done already, and see if they can keep that kind of what made the first game so special uh, within the DLC. Yeah, can can I ask like how many hours are, are deep into or into Elden Ring? I imagine you've played it quite a lot, or do we not want to know? Judging by the look on your face, there. Uh, let's see, over a hundred. Wow, hundred and fifty maybe. Well, we've definitely got the right person on the podcast this week, then. <laughs> Slowly creeping up more and more every time you ask him this question. I can find the actual number, but I don't think I want to. So we'll we'll say 130, let's say. 130 hours. I think the last game I put that kind of uh, clockage into was uh, the original Destiny. Obviously, there's busy things happening in the world of Destiny this week as well. But Lewis, um, give us a bit about your background with Elden Ring and Souls-likes in general and sort of uh, how did you take the news that it's fine, you know, this massive game, easily the best-selling game of 2022 is finally getting its DLC. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. I think, um, you know, it's been a long time coming, I feel. Uh, and I think it's something which is going to keep the the fans happy. Uh, just just from the first look of it and the artwork, I think it's enough to get people excited. Definitely, yeah. Awesome, yeah. And I can already see, obviously, since the announcement was made, since the announcement was made, you know, the Elden Ring community are already having at it in terms of theories and speculations. And we've got Gigi on YouTube here in the chat asking any theories on the DLC, and uh, is a good one. And obviously, as you just heard, Scott, our own resident Souls like expert, has put 130 hours ish into into the base game so scott you've been looking through the reddit threads this week seeing what people are saying obviously we got some official artwork but other than that and the name there wasn't much else to go on so either what theories have you been able to read or maybe you've got some theories of your own so the name shadows of the air tree it implies that something's going on with the air tree uh if you've played the game you'll know that and then maybe last it probably should be about two hours. It took me about 20 hours. Um, the air tree gets burnt down and it kind of has lasting effects on the entire map. Um, but I've seen a lot of speculation that the tree shown in the artwork isn't going to be the air tree at all. It may be Michaela's hate tree or it may be, um, the name escapes me, um, but a tree that was hinted at within a single item description, the black lamplight tree which is not mentioned in the game at all, except for the description of one single item. Um, and then the other thing is, in the corner, you see someone that looks like Michaela himself riding Torrent, which is the player horse. Um, yeah, I don't know now, if we've got producer Will with us on the stream. I don't know if he's able to bring up that artwork image, but you were, you were, I think you were one of the first to point out that that is Michaela riding the horse Torrent there. Yeah, so when you get Torrent, um, you get given a bell that belonged to Torrance's former owner. Um, so people are speculating that because of this artwork, that would have been Michaela, who, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, doesn't show up in the game at all, except for the opening cinematic. The, the only time you actually 
see him in the game is during another boss fight where he's stuck in a cocoon. Um, right. Now, Souls... I don't know if it was Dark Souls 2 DLC, but there's definitely something in Dark Souls 2 where you go back in time, and then Bloodborne's DLC is sent back in time as well. So there's another theory that this could just be like set earlier in the world um, when Michaela was still roaming. Oh, okay. So it might be a, a changed map then. Yeah. And you know, like you said with the map there, will the DLC, the DLC will make uh, any new areas available? Uh, to explore, or will it likely reuse the current locations? Yeah, I don't know. So, Scott, do you have any theories with that? So, it's weird. Elden Ring is kind of unprecedented. There's not as much to kind of go off of when you compare it to the older games. In the older games, it was new areas. Um, and I can only hope that how long this is taken means that we will get a brand new, maybe like five or six areas for the um, expansion. I could see them throwing some new bosses in the normal map as well, maybe some new dungeons, but it'll probably be a new area that you'll access with the dumbest kind of combination possible. I believe Dark Souls 1, you had to find a random wall and roll through it. For Bloodborne, <laughs> you had to stand in a specific spot and ring a bell. So, you know, it'll probably be as much of a game finding the DLC as it will be to actually play it. Yeah, it sounds like it's almost like a destiny raid in that way, where it's the onus is on the players to kind of work everything out. Not not being a Soulsborne guy myself, I've not yet dumped into Elden Ring, but I just think there's something both cool, but maybe slightly annoying as well to those instances where it's like, well, I've got access to the, the DLC, but A, am I higher level enough to access it yet? And B, how do I find it in the first place? But obviously, I think Elden Ring appeals to a particular type of player that just like finding the, the devil in the detail. Like you said, the black lamp light tree was mentioned in, in just one item description. And yet, potentially, you know, from software are using it to announce their the DLC for the first expansion. I think the fact that they're calling it an expansion means that it's going to be definitely quite sizable. But um, it is coming relatively later than I would have expected because I think previous um, DLCs, as you were hinting at earlier, Scott, um, they kind of tend to come within the same year, like Bloodborne and Dark Souls. I think they work that way. So for now, for, for From Software to only just announce the DLC a week after the game's one-year anniversary without a release date, um, I'd be surprised if we get it as early as this summer. And just my gut, purely from you know looking at numbers past, I think they could be targeting a, a, a winter release. Um, I don't know if you'd agree with that, Scott, being uh, an Elden Ring aficionado. So the fact they've announced this as just that piece of art on a tweet on like a Tuesday morning out of the blue. <laughs> Maybe seems to imply that this was just kind of a please shut up about the DLC. We'll, it'll be ready when it's ready. We're making it. Here you go. Um, so, I mean, I have to imagine that's what they've been working on for the last year, but again, this could be huge. So it may be a case of winter, at the earliest, I think we're talking September, but probably late in the year, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, we've got gaming editor Nathan uh, joining us in the YouTube chat there with his opinion on Elden Ring. Nathan, you should be sitting this side of the camera. Uh, Nathan says, I'm loving Elden Ring, rocking the bloodhound fang. Didn't they have a hit in the 90s? I'm pretty sure they did. But only just defeated that pesky witch. When is it worth getting the DLC? 
And then we've got Gigi in there telling Nathan that, you know, 32 hours, rookie numbers. I mean, for a game that size, Gigi, you're probably along the right lines, but I don't want to get fired either. Um, <laughs> when is it worth jumping into the DLC, though? So, Scott, apologies keep coming to you, but obviously you're the Elden Ring man. So I, do these t DLC, do they tend to work where they are definitely post-game or you can jump into them at any point? Uh, so the, for full clarity, the only DLC I've actually played is the Dark Souls 1 DLC and the Bloodborne DLC. I never played 2 or 3, so I couldn't speak to where they fit in. In Dark Souls 1, um, it's recommended you do it towards the end of the game. Uh, same with Bloodborne, but with Bloodborne, it's like... Actually, with both games, sorry, it's like three or four areas. So, you know, right. you can dip in get some of the DLC weapons and then come back to the main game and then come back when you're like fully um, stocked up. Um, so really it's just a case of, you know, find it. If you keep getting beat, probably wait until you're a bit closer to the end of the game. Uh, again, Elden Ring, you can continue to explore the world after you beat the game, which isn't the case in Dark Souls and Bloodborne. So you know, it's a lot easier to just wait until after. You don't have to worry. Once you've beaten the final boss, you can just skedaddle on in and probably get beaten down for the next 40 hours or however long it will take. Wow. I'm going to jump on the uh, asking Scott a question train here. Aaron, you can feel free <laughs> Go for to answer it. it as well. But, uh, you know, how long do we like really think that From Software intends to support Elden Ring because uh, with expansions? Because, like, um, you know, it, it's such a big game. But do you think, like, how, how many more expansions do you think they could add in the future before moving on to the, ne the next thing? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Go on, Scott. So, it the game awards i believe it was when he was accepting his award and some random was... child appeared behind him um, i remember that yeah <laughs> he did say he wants to do more with Elden ring and um, that's uh, miyazaki the director of the game and who did all the games i believe except dark souls 2 maybe yeah I he didn't know. do dark souls 2 i think that's right uh, so yeah he said he wants to do more with Elden ring whether that just means this dlc back or will they keep doing more is probably beyond me. I don't... It's been a huge success in a way that the other games hadn't been. I mean, they were successful, but they were never this big. So they'd maybe be leaving money on the table if they didn't. But at the same time, maybe one's enough. Maybe that's all they want to do creatively. Um, and yeah, it's... All, it's... Yeah, go for it. Scott. I think, well, I you're just about... <laughs> <laughs> GG in the chat brings up a good point obviously coming for Scott Elden Ringman's crown Sikoro got zero expansions so who knows what they've got planned for Elden Ring but it's crazy popular so it'd be mad not to cash in and I can I can see the point that Gigi's getting at but at the same time Scott hints towards like there's there, I think there's like a purity to Elden Ring that the guys at FromSoft would be very you know trepidatious to try and spoil so the fact that we're getting what we're predicting is going to be a pretty sizable uh, DLC expansion that potentially takes place years before uh, the main campaign. I think they're already tempting fate a little bit. But having said that, I know that something like the old hunters with Bloodborne was like, you know, really well received. So they definitely know what they're doing. But in just in terms of, you know, 
how long they intend to support Elden Ring. I think as long for as long as it's popular and for as long as they've got ideas that they that don't warrant putting into a sequel. Because the other thing I mentioned is that back at the Game Awards, as well as being uh, joined by some random fan on stage who was uh, shouting uh, things about Bill Clinton, um, they also announced the new Armored Core game, which got people talking as well. And I don't think it's clear yet whether or not From Software is split into two teams or if it's the same team moving from one project to another, whether Armored Core will be coming uh, after the Elden Ring expansions are done. Scott, do you have any thoughts about where Armored Core might fit into this in terms of the From Software production timeline? So Miyazaki isn't directing Armored Core. I just looked up there. It's uh, Masaru Yamamura um, directing the game. Nice job. Um, so he was the lead game designer on Sekiro. So presumably they have two separate teams. I, I could not say for sure, but I imagine because yeah. they went from Dark Souls 2 in 2014 to Bloodborne in 2015 to Dark Souls 3 in 2016. So, you know, if that's one team, they're doing a lot of work, but I can't imagine that is. So they'll probably have one team on Armored Core just now and one team on um, whatever's next for Elden Ring and then maybe a smaller team on whatever's next for anything, really. Um, but for the Sekiro expansion, it's worth noting that that was Activision. So there could have just... They were Sekiro, yeah. Yeah, maybe they just didn't want more Sekiro. I mean, it was really successful. Also one game of the year at the Game Awards, so... I couldn't really tell you what happened there, but it may just be a case of they didn't want DLC, but they wanted to do more with it because, you know, Sekiro was big for them as well. Like Sekiro was probably my favorite one. I could not tell you for sure. Uh, it changes every other week. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, it, now that you mentioned that, like it's, it's kind of incredible that we haven't got Sekiro 2 announced yet, and I do wonder if the Activision thing has something to do with it. Um, but Nathan, uh, gaming editor Nathan's in the chat again. He brings up a good point. How much are we thinking that the DLC for Elden Ring will cost? He says roughly around about £30. £30, that's probably about half the price for a full game uh, these days. And obviously, if if the full game is taken, Scott, roughly 130 hours to spend time in, that seems like it'd be good value, um, especially compared to other, other games out there. Lewis, do you think £30 for like a sizable DLC, roughly about 50 to 60 hours in length, is that an enticing prospect for you? I know you're not an Elden Ring fan, but just as a general gamer. I think that sounds like a great deal, personally. And uh, like, you know, it's a uh, it's one game of the year and stuff. And you know, you're saying the full price game is sixty pound, and you're getting you know sixty hours worth out of it. Thirty pounds seems like a bargain considering the price of some some games and DLCs these days. Yeah, I think you're totally correct. And then just to finish up the conversation, Gigi uh, in the chat still storming it. Uh, they they pose the question: I wonder if we'll see an Elden Ring series to take over Dark Souls. And that's something that I've thought about pretty often as well, is that Dark Dark Souls, or particularly the, the latter half of that moniker, Souls, is so ingrained within gaming now. Like, I saw a, a review go live for a game earlier this week, and you see the term Souls-like, you know, um, uh, thrown around pretty pretty casually these days. I, I don't know. Elden Ring was a big game, and it's definitely the biggest game in that genre, but I'm not sure if it'll enter uh, the gamer's vocabulary. I don't think we'll be seeing Elden likes anytime soon. Hopefully it stays as Souls likes because Elden likes might uh, imply something uh, entirely different. 
Well, anyway, that's the Elden Ring DLC. Like I said, no release date just yet, but confirmed to be coming to PS5, Xbox Series, as well as PS4, PC, and Xbox One. So good on FromSoft as well for supporting last-gen consoles for those who haven't made the jump yet as well. Story number two on the walkthrough this week, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Uh, live service confirmed? I don't know. It breaks my heart, if, if so. Um, so as part of PlayStation's first digital state of play event of this year, Rocksteady has finally lifted the lid on what players can expect with Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League when it arrives later this year. Set in the Arkhamverse as Rocksteady's Batman trilogy, the same one, the skills of all four characters were shown off alongside the much-rumoured Battle Pass, which many players feared would see the game skew closer towards a live service title than a traditional single-player game. Although Rocksteady has confirmed that the game can be played solo, but that an internet connection would be required to play at all times also shown off was each character's power level upgradable gear system and the battle pass where players can earn new outfits emotes and various other items to customize their characters so suicide squad kill the justice league gg chiming in once again that game looks god awful there i said it and <laughs> i don't know if i'd go so far as to say god awful but um lewis you checked out or you caught up on the suicide squad kill the justice league stuff earlier today are you a fan of Batman games in general? Uh, regardless, what were your first impressions seeing the gameplay footage? Oh, I think you're muted for a second, Lewis. Either that or you're being very, very yeah. quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like how long it's taken to make this game, uh, the gameplay was extremely underwhelming. And I think a lot of people can agree with me on that. Uh, like GG said in the comments. Um, I just felt like, yeah, there was such high expectations for it. And, and just based off the the six minutes gameplay they released alone, uh, it's 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 brought down people's expectations by quite a bit. Yeah, I, I have to say it's definitely different to what I was expecting. I don't know if producer Will is able to show some gameplay uh, as we're streaming live right now to give viewers a bit of an impression if they haven't seen it already. But I, I was always a massive fan of the Batman games that Rocksteady made. Arkham Asylum obviously changed the genre. It's still considered one of the best superhero games ever made. It's coming up now. And while this game does look fun for its own kind of reasons, um, it's clearly a very different approach. Scott, what's your opinion? Um. I don't and try and be somewhat positive if you can. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to I'm think joking. of how to be nice about this. It just doesn't look good. It looks I don't know. I I love Arkham Asylum. I love Arkham City. Those games have gotten worse with every single entry. Like Origins was okay. Night was bad. I didn't even touch Gotham Knights, but it looks um so yeah this might be next in line and somehow be worse than Gotham Knights because it just it has the problem I think a lot of games do these days where they try to put so much into it without really thinking of how it would benefit the game so I'm not I'm not to say that's on Rocksteady's behalf because they're obviously a really talented studio they're, and this game's obviously been in some form of development hell for what 10 years since Arkham Knight, maybe? Um, so but clearly, somewhere someone's been like, Okay, we need to have a battle pass because that's cool. We need to have gear, we need to have levels. It probably has a destiny cursor, one of my most hated things ever. What was the other thing? The hero like specific gears and all that, like, yeah, who asked for all this? It just gives me a big smell of the Avengers game. 
Do you remember in the Avengers game, Scott, when you could upgrade uh, Hulk's ribs to make him stronger? I think that was a new high point for um, pop culture in general, when you were unlocking new sets of ribs for Hulk, just have to say. But um, yeah, I mean, you make uh, you make salient points. I wish we could have a more positive voice uh, because I'm sure this is the type of game that would appeal uh, to people. And obviously it's four player online co-op. So much like other cooperative games, I know that I've had fun with like Borderlands in the past. Um, I think you can get some some fun out of it uh, in that sense. But this is a canonical sequel. I think it's set around about five years later uh, to Batman uh, Arkham Knight. Uh, it sounds like I liked it. Uh, a bit more than than Scott, despite the back tank uh, sections. But gaming editor Nathan chimes in as well with a with a salient point. Why can't anyone make a decent superhero game? He says, "Bar Spider Man, of course." Feels like there's so much potential in that genre, particularly for Marvel rather than DC. And I totally agree. You have to think that, uh, particularly the guys at Xbox, Spider Man being a PS PS4 PlayStation five exclusive game that they're just kind of like looking over that fence and saying like why can't we have that meanwhile you've got warner brothers clearly trying to pivot over what began as like a live service entry because i think the interesting thing about gotham knights last year was it wasn't a good game um and even though you could play as four different gotham knights only you can only play as two uh at once as part of the campaign and uh, me and friends were excited about that game. There were three of us, but obviously one of us had, had to sit out whenever we wanted to play online. At least Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League uh, doesn't seem to to have that issue. Um, but Lewis, why do you think, obviously you're here, we're going to be talking about FIFA a little bit later. Is the allure of having live service elements in your game simply too strong to, to the extent that even with superhero games, we're seeing it come up time and time again? I think so. I think so, definitely. I think... Um... Yeah, I, with this game, the reaction it just has since that trailer got released has not been good, and that's one of the that's one of the the, the reasons I think the fact um, that's sorry that's one of the reasons why the the feedback hasn't been so great. And uh, what I don't like about this game so far from what we've seen is that uh, it just doesn't look any different to a lot of superhero games we've seen. You know, uh, it had some interesting cutscenes. That's what like you know cinematic moments in a way, but the gameplay itself I think fell flat. Um, so yeah, it's not one I'm looking forward to, but like you mentioned there, I think that's something we see too often nowadays. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think whenever you can see people like this is a next, a, a current gen only release is coming to PS5, Xbox Series X. And for people to be comparing it to the likes of, uh, Crackdown and, uh, something Gotham City Imposters, if you can remember that online game, it's not really the kind of, uh, dialogue and conversations you want to hear about your next big budget game from Rocksteady which is one of the you know most celebrated uh superhero game developers GG in the chat again the first Batman game was great I think they're they're referencing Arkham Asylum there it went downhill after that in terms of DC I think you may be being a little bit too harsh I mean people do love Arkham City despite the the expansion as well um so the game's been in development as you've mentioned Scott for almost 10 years and um, it, it's clearly had a troubled development, if you were to ask me. Um, you know, it started off as one thing, potentially changed to another. Just in general, Scott, do you think it's been worth the wait? <laughs> <laughs> no words. I just, I just sat and slaughtered the game for a good two minutes straight, and you're like, are you happy with the wait? So I but don't try, think... Try and put yourself in the shoes of like other people, potentially, as well. The game I... might not be for you, but surely it appears yeah. to someone. I don't think this has actually been in development for 10 years because I remember you would hear rumours that they were doing a Nightwing game next, they were doing a Court of Owls game, they, 
there was a Suicide Squad game coming. I can't remember if it was them or if it was the other team, the ones who did Gotham Knights. Um, but I remember hearing about that, and then after the movie flopped, they gave up on it and somehow have brought it back. But I think after people's problems with Arkham Knight, which, again, you like, I um, I think they had to kind of make a big splash, especially when it's been this long. And this just doesn't look like it. And obviously, you know, the the next logical step would have been like Justice League or something like that. And they kind of got some of that in here. But I'm also a bit upset not that's maybe not the right word but i'm not exactly happy that this is in the arkham verse like we've mm. got kevin conroy's final performance as batman we've got this great universe that in three months time or whenever the game comes out will be probably wiped by some flashpoint nonsense kevin conroy's final batman he's probably gonna get killed off as a joke from like captain boomerang or something stupid like that and it's like it just feels like a waste of everything that they've built up over the years. And I could be wrong. I could play the game and love it. But from where I'm at now, it looks disappointing. And to kind of go back to Nathan's point, you can make a good superhero game nowadays, but because they're the biggest movies, they're so huge, they're biggest TV shows at this point, no one's giving a chance to these kind of smaller teams. We had Midnight Suns in December, and yeah, sure, it flopped, but it was a great game because they let a smaller team give a take on a superhero game rather than we need to get this AAA big-budget Batman game, this big-budget Spider-Man game, this big-budget Wolverine game. You know, you can make good superhero games. It's just the people in charge of making these decisions want a specific thing, like Avengers, you know? Yeah, I think it's I think, indicative um, of... Oh, go, go ahead, Lewis. Go on. I was going to say, I think, um, like Scott mentioned slightly there, I think it's the name that sells, obviously. And, you know, we've seen with the boys TV show and the success of the most recent Suicide Squad film that people love a superhero gone bad, you know, storyline. So I think that there's no doubt an audience will be there when it gets released. Uh, but I can see people quickly not turning against it, but if it's anything like the gameplay shown, uh, getting bored quickly. I I also think it's a Suicide Squad game where you kill the Justice League. Now that concept on its own is interesting but then they're like, oh by the way they're actually brainwashed by Brainiac and you're actually saving the world. Have fun. It's the same problem with the, the first Suicide Squad movie. Just let people be villains. Let people be bad. You know, They don't need to save the world. There doesn't need to be a world ending crisis. Just let them do something. Peacemaker, the TV series, amazing. Like, the best thing DC's put out, maybe ever, but definitely in the last few years. And that's that's not a story about how John Cena's going to save the world. It's just, let's infiltrate a secret society of insect people. And it's just a small group of people messing about. Best thing I've seen on TV in the last like, couple of years. And I highly recommend that one. It's disappointing he's not in the game as well. It seems very like it's people from the original movie and King Shark. So it's like you can tell they had a different plan for where the series was at. Yeah. What are yeah. your like uh, thoughts on the four select? I was going to say, yeah. So, like, have you all seen the latest Suicide Squad? 
uh, James Gunn's Suicide Squad movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved it. Loved it. So Deadshot's not in it. Sure, you got to have Harley Quinn in there, and then Captain Boomerang's in it for a while, like two minutes. Is he? Spoilers. Spoiler alert. <laughs> was he? Was he even in? Yeah, he was in it, but he was only in it for he like two is minutes. In it, yeah. So it feels a bit dated now because obviously Deadshot was Will Smith's character in the movie, but then they had, um, I believe his name was Bloodsport, who Idris Elba played, who is pretty much the exact same character. Guy who's good with guns, has a daughter who's troubled or something like that. So (laughs) it just all feels a bit dated now. And I know they're going to bring new heroes in, but will I care in like five months' time when they add Peacemaker or they add... I don't know, Polka Dot Man or anyone who was good in that new movie, you know, it feels um, it's the same feeling I got with Avengers, you know, by the time they added Hawkeye or did they even add She-Hulk? I know she was meant to be coming, but it's too late at that point because no one cares anymore. And that's the other problem with these live service things, you know, it's backed on what's to come rather than what's here. Yeah, I think particularly when it comes to the villain lineup, you're absolutely right because it, obviously games take a long time to develop and I think more so than most because it hasn't really had a clear vision of its own um, and his, his Suicide Squad is clearly aping from these other genres, be it the Avengers game or even something like as big as Destiny itself. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if this was originally intended as a tie-in for the, the Suicide Squad movie or Rocksteady had access to you know uh, concept art for the original... Um, I can't remember who directed it, David, someone, uh, the 2016 one starring Jared Leto, which we won't go into detail here because <laughs> it, I agree. It is, it is strange to see like King shark and captain boomerang and all these B it's, it's kind of cool that they're, they're um, B list characters, but at the same time, I don't want to give Rocksteady too much um, trouble for picking those characters because obviously finding the fun and making four different move sets uh, that are all equally interesting to play as it is it, no easy task. We don't have but to that's... speak about, Oh, go on, Scott. That's the other thing. Now, when you hear the name Captain Boomerang, what what do you imagine his weapon of choice would be? Mm. <laughs> Is it a gun? Yeah, yeah, maybe. They all use yeah. guns. Like, yeah, why Captain it, Boomerang with a shotgun? Yeah, why is Captain yeah. Boomerang using a shotgun? That could have been a fun character. You could have had some Kratos kind of stuff where you're throwing boomerangs at people and having them come back. But no, he's got a shotgun. That's yeah, that's the big. Uh my biggest disagreement with the game it, it just looked like any other third person shooting game you know everyone was flying and jumping and it just it it looked like something we've seen dozens of times before yeah and uh, the la- we don't have to speak about uh suicide squad specifically there are other state of play announcements we have and we can go through but uh, the, the last thing i i want to say is that's a crying shame is that the always online uh connection for these live service games um, Rocksteady did their best in that behind-the-scenes video, uh, you know, showing us that it can be played uh, solo uh, with bots controlling the other characters. So it's very still much a group tying game. But Scott, you mentioned earlier, and you're you're bang on that this is Kevin Conroy's last recorded appearance ever as Batman, not just in m- movies, TV shows, or games ever, as far as I understand it, unless there's another DC uh, animated film coming out with him in, but I don't think there is. So the fact that one day this game will not be able to be played. Uh, offline. Uh, so if you go into a store, you buy a disc, you're never going to be able to play it. And um, Red, Redfall got a lot of heat for this earlier this year, and I completely agreed with it then. Were Redfall not coming to Game Pass, uh, I probably wouldn't play it because I don't want to play a game that when I invest my money in, I know however in many years it's going to be it's going to be worthless or, you know, 
if my internet connection is not strong enough, why bother playing it at all? Um, so yeah, the internet connection thing is something I, I have a real issue with as well. Yeah. Um, Nathan is piped up again in the chat. He says, with the huge Marvel films particularly, there's so much lore that can't be explored. You think that games could pick up some of that and run with it. The Mephisto stuff from Loki, for example. And I, I kind of feel for the creators on this side because you know, these comic book universes, there's so much to pull from. And even though you've got more time to spend in a game than you have in just a 90-minute movie, condensing that into something that's logical and cohesive still is uh, a challenge, I would say. Yeah. So that's part of why I liked Midnight Sun so much. Because you got the chance. Has anyone here heard of Nico Minoru? Or I mean, we know Magic because she's an X-Men character, but like all these like weird B-tier Marvel characters, but it's like the most interesting thing they've done. I mean, Spider-Man's obviously cool, but it's like as a boilerplate AAA game, you know? It's good, but it's very much one of those, you know? But you wouldn't see like a Midnight Suns game. And even then, they had to have the Avengers in it, which is the worst part of that game, to be honest. But there are so many things you can do with these universes. There's so many cool characters you can pull in. They're pulling... Deadshot and Harley Quinn. I mean, Harley Quinn's good, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and Captain Boomerang shooting a shotgun is obviously oh, very good. Scott. He's good. Yeah, big he's fan good. of Captain Boomerang. Yeah, but but again, you've already answered your own question because Midnight Suns, great game. I played it for a couple of hours. I've just been so busy with other stuff, not had a chance to play it. But I did like dipping into these side characters, and then we get a couple months later, and it underperformed. And then the creative director Jake Solomon's leaving the studio. Uh, there's no evidence that the two are directly connected, but I think the reason there's a reason why you see developers become risk averse to these, you know, delving in deeper and more nichely. And um, yeah, I think it's only going to continue um, with this live service stuff personally. Um, so yeah, Suicide Squad killed the Justice League. I've yet to speak to someone who thinks it looks good, but if you exist, leave a comment in the YouTube section or on Facebook and we'll happily read it out and get your voice heard. But obviously, the state of play had uh, a lot more to show. There was a there was a heavy PlayStation VR two bent at the beginning, but Scott, I know there was particularly some Capcom related games that excited you a fair bit in the state of play. Yeah, um, I mean, ten years ago, Capcom was. I mean, I still liked them because I liked these series, but they were not the best. They did all this like DLC on disc stuff releasing five different versions of Street Fighter 4, just not using Mega Man or ruining Resident Evil. And in the 10 years since, it's amazing to see how far we've come. We've come from like complete rubbish to probably the best publisher in the world right now. Like they seem to just do hit after hit and Street Fighter 6 and Resident Evil 4 both look like they're going to be that again like those two will... i'd be shocked if either of those weren't in my top five games of the year this year just from looking at them alone just um and especially after how to go into street fighter first i guess after how street fighter 5 was at launch it's it's so good to see like how much they seem to just be nailing it with six like i've played a bit of six i really like how it feels i think all the new systems are great but even then, I've not had a chance to look at any of the single-player stuff, and I've barely touched the online. But it's like, it's, it just seems incredible. Like the only issue I have is the character roster, but that's mainly because 
Um, none of my favourites have coming back, and they should be catering specifically to me at all times. <laughs> is is um, there no Vega confirmed yet, Scott? Because he he was always my oh, guy. No, he, he had can, the long reach. Mm-hmm. Oh no! Don't be doing and my boy band. Vega dirty like that. It's like it's the entire Street Fighter Two cast, which goes back to what we were just saying about superheroes. Now you can't really do the Midnight Suns. You have to put the Street Fighter Two guys in there, but I do wish like there's what six games you can pull from or six series you can pull from there's no one from street fighter 3 there's no one from uh street fighter 5 i believe uh street fighter 5, yeah street fighter 5 was a weird one because wasn't it playstation exclusive as well for the longest time and like yeah. you know xbox players can finally get in on street fighter 6 which i think is going to be a huge deal um yeah, I think you're absolutely right about it. like Capcom. You know, they've had great success with Resident Evil and Monster Hunter World. That RE engine, it, it can seemingly do no wrong. And at a time where almost every game is either made in Unreal or, you know, uh, Unity is the other engine. I think, you know, Capcom are single-handedly proving that there's a, a way to create beautiful-looking games on bespoke uh, stuff. Lewis, you caught up a little bit on the state of play. Um, was there anything in there that intrigued you in particular, be that Street Fighter, Capcom related or something else? I mean, you know me, I'm all FIFA and football manager and esports and all that, uh, football for esports. So uh, uh, personally, uh, nothing stood out massively. That's just a personal preference. But uh, I think Street Fighter has always been a game that I've been interested in, just never got around to playing. So uh, that, that obviously drew my interest. Uh, but personally, uh, not too much. That's all right. That's right. We need me and Scott need to rope you in on the the Resident Evil train because Resident Evil Four. They showed a new trailer. They confirmed that a special demo is coming and that Mercenaries mode is going to be uh, available, presumably at launch. I can't remember if they've said if that's coming later or not. It's post launch. Uh, it's post launch. Thanks, Scott. Um, but yeah, Resident Evil Four. Uh, shut up and take my money. Basically, there's nothing more I can say. It seems like they're doing everything right. It looks grittier, darker than the original, but in all the good reasons. This is a game that a lot of people consider to be, you know, one of the best games ever made, and if Capcom's work with the Resident Evil 2 remake and their recent stuff on Resident Evil 7 and Village, Resident Evil 3 may make maybe not so much. Um, Resident Evil 4 is looking is looking great. And I remember at the beginning of the year, we had a round of previews drop and everybody said they loved it then. Scott, will you dive into Resident Evil 4 at launch or will you wait a little bit later? I just muted myself, sorry. Um, yeah, no, I'm day one. I'm day zero. I'll try and find an early copy. If I can, um, um, little Resident Evil nothing. Zero Easter egg there from Scott. <laughs> Not intentional, of course. Don't don't want to think about Resident Evil Zero. I'm sure people like it. Just, uh, but yeah. yeah, no. When when back when Resident Evil Three first came out, the remake, obviously, um, all the rumors came out about a darker, grittier Resident Evil Four remake. And to be honest, I was like terrified. Resident Evil 4 is what makes it so good is it's almost the Devil May Cry of Resident Evil games, even though Devil May Cry itself was Resident Evil 4 originally. It's just so goofy. Like, Leon is so funny. He's got all these stupid one-liners. There's the, uh, where's everyone going? The bingo line. Bingo? And the, the star yeah. of it. It's just so dumb. It's like this B-movie kind of feeling to it. And that's <laughs> what I love about Resident Evil 4 so much. Like, sure, revolutionized for person shooters and all that, but it's just so funny. And it's weird. Every time I thought about it, I was like, no, I don't want this. I, 
they'll ruin it. It's one of the best games ever made for a reason. You don't need to touch it. But every time I've seen it, I'm just like, wow, like they're they're doing it, you know, like the the gameplay demo they showed of the village section from the start of the game. Like as soon as I saw that, I was all in day one. Like I don't even need to see the new trailer to like be excited <laughs> for it. But the new trailer also looks fantastic. I just again, Capcom can do no wrong right now. So I'm excited to actually get my hands on this and excited to see if they manage to do the same for Resident Evil 5, which has a steeper hill to climb. Well, let's, I, I guess um, we wouldn't want to dive too deep into that uh, avenue. But, but first off, Resident Evil 4, any game that lets you block a, a chainsaw with a knife gets a thumbs up from me instantly. Um, but I am equally interested to see um, where they go after the Resident Evil 4 remake. Because do you attempt to remake Resident Evil 5? I personally think they'd be much better off giving the original Resident Evil a remake because we've never seen it from the over-the-shoulder perspective. Um, Scott, I don't know if you've got any thoughts of that. It's okay if you haven't. I don't want to go down too much of a tangent on the Resident Evil train. Code Veronica. I think everyone assumed that Code Veronica would be next and now it's Resident Evil 4. I could also see Zero. I could see it. Um, I don't know if they do Resident Evil 1. I mean, there's money to be made, so they probably will, but the Resident Evil 1 remake is already considered like one of the best remakes of all time, as is. But it's, but it's but, a very different style of Resident Evil game, isn't it? And I think that for, for people, players of a particular generation, that tank controls aspect still puts people off. Yeah, I've, I've never beaten it myself. Um, um, I can deal with PS1 stuff, but I'm not the best with tank controls. Um, it, it'd be interesting to see, and obviously Resident Evil 2 and 3, the remakes, and Village, uh, actually, um, they all take place within, not Village, Village takes place way after, but Resident Evil 1, 2, and 3 all take place within like a week. A couple of sure. weeks, yeah. yeah. Um, and then Village, there was some new... Like late in the game where you play as Chris Redfield, you go into a lab. Oh, you're spoiling you every out. game today, Scott, I must say, yeah. I mean, that <laughs> game is like, over a year old. <laughs> I think it's, it's not like two years, three years now. But you, you're forgetting the PSVR 2 versions just come out, so someone might be well, jumping into it for the first time. Well, spoilers for a, a minor collectible that you find late in the game. <laughs> There's some lore stuff in there that pertains to the original Resident Evil that's quite interesting. Yeah, so yeah. there are seeds there to be, you know, to make so, a good Resident Evil 1 remake, but I'm not sure if it's necessary. But then again, I don't think Resident Evil 4 was a necessary remake. Um, but no, I don't think they go for 5 either. <laughs> and they're proving us wrong with all these remakes. But anyway, that was the Sony State of Play uh, recap from us. Again, a little bit down. We'll perhaps more than a little bit down on Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, but hopefully um, it'll appeal to someone. And who knows, there's still a couple months to go. Rocksteady might show us something that changes our opinion. But moving on to the next headline we have for you today, and the main reason why Lewis Barton is on the podcast. He's been he's been very quiet on the horror game front. I'm not too sure if Survival Horror is his <laughs> bag necessarily. Um, but EA Sports FC, um, it's coming later this year. The final FIFA, FIFA is no more. FIFA 23 was the final FIFA. So FIFA 23, as it stands, is entering its final few months with the 30-year partnership between EA Sports and FIFA ending 
following FIFA 23's conclusion. EA has confirmed that they will release a brand new football game called EA Sports FC, which instantly rolls off the tongue. But as of now, the name of the game is all that we really know. So that being said, we've managed to to pull Lewis away from his usual FIFA duties. And this is the part of the show where me and Lewis, me and Scott, I beg your pardon, are just going to pepper him with questions. So Scott, what do you want to ask Lewis about EA Sports FC? What is your one burning question? And I'm sure he's ready to answer. So this is where you become uh, the Elden Ring expert and yeah, exactly get the... bombarded with questions. How the turns have tabled, as Michael Scott would say. Uh, so what do you think the air tree has to do with, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> do you think that this is, obviously all we know is EA Sports FC. Is this going to be EA Sports FC 24? Or do you think this is going to be like EA Sports FC and then next year there's going to be the 24 update, the 25 update, and it'll just be one live service kind of platform the way you have Fortnite and all that. What do you think is going to happen there? So as of now, all we actually know is that their new game will be called EA Sports FC, and that is literally it. They've released nothing else apart from a really limited graphic just going through, you know, it's FC in different fonts with different teams who are licensed uh, from the Premier League, La Liga, etc. So um, there's no number in the title, which is very different to what you had in the past. Obviously, FIFA's always had the year follow it in the title. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. In my opinion, that sort of hints towards that they could go down the, the live service route where uh, they'll release like a yearly update, which will bring in new player ratings and ultimate team, uh, the kits and all that, because... Um, you know, a lot of games are going down that route now. And with the fact that, yeah, it is just called EA Sports FC, adding a number onto that doesn't sound appealing at all. The name itself already isn't the greatest name. I think both of you can back <laughs> me up on that. Uh, it, it's it, like you said earlier, uh, Aaron, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, think, I think a game where sort of a live, a live service where it gets a, a yearly update will be something completely new. Uh, but I think it will be well like very welcomed by the the community so just as a kind of follow up there how do you think they monetize this do you think it's going to be because obviously it's ea they're about their money fifa probably makes the most money of any game i imagine um gta5 maybe but i agree with you scott yeah um well year to year anyway so obviously if they go the one game platform they're losing out on 70 quid every year, you know, or not 70 quid alone, like countless 70 quids. So how do you think they make the difference? Do you think they go more aggressive with, because obviously you can't do like customization, you know, you're not going to have the John Cena crossover or Rick and Morty and Goku showing up in FIFA. <laughs> so yeah, what do you think they do to kind of make that money back if they do go the live service route? Personally, I think it will just be a very expensive update each year. Uh, I think it will probably be the same price as buying a new game, except it won't be a new game with a new title. It would just be an update where you can get, you know, uh, every every year you'll have new, every team gets a new kit, they'll get new players, uh, there's new leagues. Uh, so I think it would just be a yearly update where you pretty much pay the full price of what you pay for a normal FIFA title, um, and it's the same game. I can't see them being too creative with it uh, or, or going down in price. Uh, and like you mentioned, the collaborations, it was this year was the first year we saw like a, a big 
collaboration with FIFA, FIFA collaborated with Marvel uh, for Ultimate Team, which was very surprising. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see stuff like that happen again in EA Sports FC. And the thing is with the partnership, uh, with the separation, sorry, from FIFA, is that it was a bit of a blaming game. EA sort of said that the FIFA title held them back from being creative, whilst FIFA came out sort of you know saying the same thing about EA. So it'll be really interesting to see who was at fault, you know, because there's been so many demands from players uh, towards EA each year that aren't listened to. So uh, fans are hoping, me as well, that it was FIFA who were blocking out EA from being creative and we can get a really, you know, personal game which appeals to players this year. Um, like you said with the monetization, um, yeah, I think it will be a yearly release which costs a pretty penny. Uh, and I think they'll continue pushing, you know, FIFA points in game, which had a bit of controversy in the past um, because of how much they cost and how much everything is around in the ultimate team is based on buying points. But uh, I can see that continuing, maybe even being bigger than before. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, we've got obviously gaming editor Nathan usually hosts this show and he's he's a big FIFA player, similar to yourself, Lewis. He's popped up in the chat again with a very good question. What would happen to FIFA Ultimate Team if it went live service? The amount of cards they release, do you see these cards being on a transfer market for years after? Or Because as I understand at the moment with every new annualized release, EA just wiped the slate clean and every cent or dollar that you've invested in creating the FIFA Ultimate Team, uh, you have to start from scratch. So um, by going live service, do they does EA risk making less money or is there a way for them to work around that? What do you think? Personally, I think it would just be the same as it is. They'll, they'll just wipe the slate clean again. It will be sort of like a whole new game but it's just a way to keep the title the same every single year. Uh, because again, I think it's a naming issue. EA Sports tw FC 24, it just sounds so bad. So yeah. yeah, I can see them just, you know, wiping the slate with Ultimate Team, starting from scratch again. Uh, if there was a way where they wouldn't do that and there was a way for whatever you invest to stay invested over a long period of time rather than every year you know if you've paid 200 pounds in points over one year then just losing all of it that would be fantastic but again i think that will stop ea from making money in a way they'll make big losses on that if you know if you put 200 pounds to the game in august and then next year in august that 200 pounds still has value um yeah that, that won't work with, that won't work with ea so i can see it being something similar to how it currently is um we've got another youtube comment from adam l in the chat who comes up with an idea of his own own in terms of how uh, cards are handled um maybe leaning on the hearthstone side of things um maybe a card crafting system where you can scrap cards for five percent of the value or something like in other card games like marvel snap and yeah like hearthstone games like that do you think that's yeah. something that ea would go for <laughs> It's like it's a really good idea, a really creative idea that I think a lot of fans would be on board with. Uh, but from my perspective, I can't see EA doing that. I feel like they they make so much on current FIFA titles um, with the way it is. Uh, I feel like any sort of situation where um, anything gets wiped or sorry, anything doesn't get wiped and they, it, it, they'll lose money. They'll lose money. Um I'd I'd love to see something like that where you know cards don't just disappear, uh, they can they can get recycled, they can 
you know, somehow. It could be like an idea of you when you get a card at the beginning of EA Sports FC, it starts at quite a lower rating and each FIFA it can build up, but it's just how they go about that, the logistics. I don't know how that would work. Um, but yeah, I still think it would be a wipe the slate clean sort of situation. So uh, Nathan's actually said something in the chat I want to bring up. He says, mm -hmm. what ways do you think FIFA have been holding EA back if that is the case? Uh, and then also, who do we think FIFA partners with next? Is it going to be 2K? Is it going to be someone else? Or 2K is going to be like a Lego football game or something like that, I've heard. I, I keep seeing yeah, like uh, 2K FIFA 24 floated around. Like, I don't know where that rumor started. Mm -hmm. I think people think it's a natural fit. But yeah, Lewis, what's your take? Yeah, I think with um, who FIFA go with to publish their next game, uh, as of now, unlike EA Sports, who announced EA Sports FC, FIFA have said nothing. Uh, so it could be, I don't know, right? They haven't got a publisher the way it is. So I think 2K is a name that floats around because they have so many sports games the way it is. Um, so that's something which we could potentially see in the future, which it would be interesting to see, like I said earlier, um, if their game comes out and, you know, it's got cross-playing pro clubs, uh, if they make a pro club similar mode, uh, if all the requests that, fans be making over the last you know five six years are all going to for the first fifa game it will be clear that it was ea who was holding fifa back rather than the other way around um i think when ea made the announcement they were making the split from fifa they ended up saying the the fifa name was holding them back um i'm not too sure how mm. that is personally because fifa is one of the biggest companies in the world but actually i'm sort of contradicting myself now by saying that because that name, it's probably things they might have wanted to do in the game, which are not as sensible that FIFA didn't want to be associated with. So I feel like when we got that collaboration with Marvel this year, um, it's not often you get personalized sort of card. It was like a card. It was, what, the, what the collaboration was was pretty much a, an item in FIFA, a, a card and ultimate team. Uh, the players were in the, like the the style of a Marvel comic. Which is something we'd never seen before, and it went really, it went down really well with the community, um, and I just feel like you know EA could really take it less sensible without the FIFA title now because I feel like FIFA would have a, a big say over what happens because it's such a governing body, and you know that's the name you see on the box. You don't really see the EA Sports, you see FIFA. So I feel like they would have more of the say. So without that that big name overlooking them now, it'll be interesting to see how how creative they can get. So, don't know if anyone can tell. Let's. I don't know anything about most sports games, especially FIFA. Um, but I do know when Two K took over WWE, when THQ went bankrupt, there were, I'd say maybe a few years of uh, growing pains. But actually, it's more like ten years of growing pains. Like yeah. last year's game, is probably the first good one, and. A long time, but it does kind of bring up something interesting where it was hard to tell who was to blame why WWE was so bad. Was it Ukes, the developer, or was it on 2K's end? Uh, and then after everything that went down with 2K20 and they took the two years off, Visual Concepts made the new one on their own, and it's the best one they've made in a long, long time, like since the PS2, maybe. So it's It'll be interesting to see if 2K, or sorry, if FIFA wants to get something on the shelves as soon as maybe this year, maybe next year, 
Um, or if they, you know, take their time with it, maybe they've learned their lesson from WWE um, and make something actually good that people want to play and could be a genuine competitor. Yeah. I, I understand what you mean with the, the WWE stuff, Scott, because I'm, I'm like I said, I don't play FIFA too much, but I really enjoyed the like PS2 era of the WWE games. You know, here comes the pain, just bring it, all those classic things. And then to see 2K sort of fumble it in ways that they did to the extent that they basically had to skip a year and make an arcade uh, version of a wrestling game. I can't remember what that game was called, but just because it's in, it's in instances like that where you see the the cogs of the machine, like it, it doesn't stop. You can't delay it. Something has to come out, which I think is why Lewis's point about it potentially becoming a live service game um, will come with its own challenges because suddenly there's some different expectations that come with a live service game. How often are you updating it? Um, what extra content can you add over time? How are you keeping me engaged? All those sorts of things. And Gigi uh, pops up in the chat again. Well, I, th I think he's being a little bit jokey here or there being a bit jokey. Football Fortnite. Maybe EA goes in on a free-to-play football game with seasonal content. And I, I appreciate the Fortnite reference there, but correct me if I'm wrong, Lewis, but wasn't this a similar route to what Konami went down with uh, Pro Evolution Soccer? And I don't remember it ending up too well for them. Yeah, eFootball uh, did not go well. Uh, I don't know what's even going on with that game anymore because it just sort of fell off a cliff as soon as they, they changed that sort of uh, that service. Uh, so I think EA will be looking at that probably and trying to think what can we learn from how the mistakes they made. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting to see. I think, yeah, a live service sort of seasonal upgrade, that would work football-wise because you have the football seasons. You know, you have uh, every nine, ten months or so a season, a nine months a season will restart and it, that 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 could be, you know, put into a, a video game form. But um, there's so many things and expectations that people have for this upcoming game uh, that we want to see. Personally, I have like a list of things that I want to see that I think if EA do that, it would do well. Um, and I think I'd like to see them do it as a, you know, a seasonal a sort of pass sort of thing where they, they give it you know, seasonal updates, but it's just how they do that. And, you know, that's the one problem. So yeah. you add Rick and Morty, you add Goku, Doomslayer, Kratos, you get them, you make them play football. Yeah. There you go. Bob Trunkle, you've solved it. The biggest game yeah, of all time. I think because when they was... announced the Marvel collaboration, that was the one question everyone had. Was it will they will Hulk be in you know a FIFA game? Do you have like Hulk as a defender like in game? And it was a bit confusing at first. So when when it got announced that like, it's just you know Marvel Comics are going to be designing a card, it was a bit underwhelming. But it's also really fun to see because it's something we've never seen before. And I think just from looking at how well that collaboration's gone down with the community, EA should definitely be open to collaborating more in EA Sports FC. Part part of me is like, like I, I Fortnite is obviously the biggest success story in games right now, but not everything needs to be Fortnite, you know. I thought we were you know overreaching a little bit when Call of Duty had that Godzilla versus Kong event tie-in uh with Warzone. Um the, the I I'm no FIFA player, I'm no EA Sports FC player, but the thought of seeing Hulk as a defender uh going up against uh, Ricky Lambert or something on the pitch. There's a reference for you, Lewis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm showing my uh, ancient football knowledge now. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. And similar to what I said about the Elden Ring stuff earlier, like Souls likes are so ingrained in people's vocabulary now. You know, FIFA Ultimate Team. It's been called FIFA Ultimate Team. What is it going to be called from here on out? 
just ultimate team, I guess. But then you can't call yeah, it foot points. Yeah, that's what I mean. I think you know when I'm just, I've said it a few times today already. I'm describing it as FIFA players or FIFA. It EA Sports FC players. It's such a long thing to say. Even the abbreviation yeah. would be EAFC. Like it just nothing sounds good with that name. Um, so you never know. It could be they do the yearly release. They just trial EA Sports FC. They realize it doesn't sound good and they'll try and find a new name. But I remember when it got announced, the uh, the split between them and FIFA, uh, me and Nathan were, were trying to figure out what name could it be given. And we, just, we couldn't think of any good ones really because that FIFA name is so renowned. Um, it's going to be hard to get away from that, I think. I think. Um, but yeah, Ultimate Team would just be Ultimate Team. I guess they'll just call it like Ultimate Team Points or just Points. Uh, they'll, they'll figure something out, I think. Yeah. UT points, something. I don't know. UT points, yeah, something like yeah. that. But uh, yeah, when you lose that FIFA name, I think it's definitely going to be a loss. Uh, you know, people look for that that FIFA name on a, on a well, not a box anymore. No one really buys discs, but you look for the FIFA name, don't you? So yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Definitely. Yeah, someone's someone's grand's not going to know the and and workings <laughs> of like. FIFA and EA's Fallout, so if there's a new game with FIFA on the box <laughs> and it's like eFootball level quality, someone's going to have like a bad Christmas, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess that was EA's well, retrospective, in retrospect, like biggest mistake was placing so much power in that FIFA name, knowing that they would never really have true ownership over it, but um, yeah. I, I, appreci- I appreciate your uh, insight, Lewis. Um, it's the main reason, obviously, we brought you onto the podcast today, so thanks for letting me and Scott just pepper you about things which there's not a lot of information out there about uh, at the moment, but hopefully, you know, it's planned yeah. to release this year and we'll hear more soon. Um, Nathan, gaming editor Nathan, I'll finish off on his point here because uh, I think it's quite good. He says, I think it was all about the money. FIFA wanted too much money for the name to go on the game. Um, yeah, I think they were yeah. asking for something like a billion for the just for the, the naming rights, which they didn't pay. But then they have just agreed, reportedly, uh, EA Sports have reportedly agreed uh a fee in the excess of I think 600 million for Premier League licensing so it shows you that they have the money to spend but it's just how do they do it so if they're not going to splash out a billion on the FIFA name uh, I think obviously it's just showing you that they want to be disassociated with it and maybe, maybe they are holding the back over after all a lot of money in football who knew yeah definitely not yeah. me yeah <laughs> even the games um, cool so that's uh, that's EA Sports FC Still trying to get used to saying that. Um, but moving on to our final topic for the Mirror Walkthrough. Obviously, it's been a couple of weeks now since we've discussed um, all things The Last of Us, but it's still been rolling on. The wildly successful HBO show, Pedro Pascal, the internet's favourite daddy, for some reason. Not quite sure how that got started. But um, it's, it's a double whammy recently because The Mandalorian debuted today. Not watched it myself, but The Last of Us truck rolls on. Um, this weekend, we were treated to episode seven, Left Behind. And uh, Matt, fortunately for regular viewers of the show, isn't here to complain about all of the audio tape woes. I'm not too sure how many he'd spot, but keep 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 engaged on the Mirror Gaming TikTok for that because uh, he definitely uh, pays incre- attention, incredible detail to that. But here we go. Thanks, job. Uh, nice job, producer Will. Um, episode seven, Left Behind. Lewis, you've not played the games before, but you've watched the show. Scott. You've played the games, but not watched the show. So we've got almost every perspective uh, this week on the pod. Um, Lewis, as the newbie, resident newbie, what's uh, what stuck out to you for this week's episode? Personally, I loved it. I know it hasn't got 
great reception compared to episodes so far but i thought it was really good you know uh i like how they're they're sort of diving into every main character's uh i like this little spoilers thing yeah uh they're diving into every character's backstory uh and i think it's a nice way just to to split up each episode i think people have some issues with the pacing currently saying it's moving too slow with all the cutscenes and you know looking into people's backstories but personally as someone who's not played the game uh it's great i think you know i i not playing the game you don't know these backstories um so for me i think it's easier as if you've played the game um you have this expectation of what you think is going to happen or what you want to happen so when it doesn't you're sort of let down automatically um I found it a very tense episode to watch because it was obviously all these nice moments between the two and uh, you were always just looking in the background waiting for something to happen, weren't you? Yeah, like the Left Behind DLC, which this episode basically lifts pretty much wholesale, is is revered amongst Last of Us fans. Um, and before we get too deep, I just want to say, oh, we've got producer Will coming in to lend us his thoughts about the uh, the episode as well. So thanks for hopping in, Will. Um, is this your first time uh, on the podcast? Is this first time your face has appeared? Yes. Yes, it is. Wow. Yes. Wow. What a treat for people. I'm so excited. Um, before we go any further, though, Gigi in the chat says, Pedro Pascal slander will not stand. And I agree. I'm a big Pedro Pascal stan. Do not worry. Do not worry. Um, but Will, seeing as you've just jumped in, um, you've played the games before, I believe? Or that game? Uh, no, no, I haven't. I haven't played the game, um, but I did. I did enjoy the episode. I, uh, I mean, Lewis has sort of touched on it there. I did have an issue with the fact that even without playing the game, from what you know about Ellie, and um, you know, from from the sort of tone of the show in general, you know that she's going to get bit in this episode, and you know that something is going to happen to Riley. It's pretty obvious from the, from the start, and it's confirmed when you see the when you see the infected. So I just couldn't focus on any of the character development, any of the context, anything that was being added in, in the episode as, as a whole, because I was just, you know, anytime there's a mid shot, I'm looking behind in doorways, anything like that. And mm. just, yeah, it's the same reason like if you were watching a horror film and there was that sort of sequence where they're being tracked down a hallway or something, you wouldn't then have like important character development because you just wouldn't be able to concentrate on any of it. So I had an issue with sort of how tension was managed in this episode. It genuinely just took me out of the of the episode the entire time. But generally, I mean, this is the thing. I, I think you sort of the goalpost move a little bit. Whereas if this was if this was just a standard episode before the before the season came out, you but this is a great episode of a, of a very good adaptation. But because the standards are so high now, we're sort of like disappointed with what felt like quite an average episode just because of the start. But no, I, I enjoyed it. It was good. Yeah, um, I just want to uh, answer one of Adam's questions. We've got a lively YouTube comment section at the moment, so I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Adam says, is the whole season out yet? I want to fly through this season in one night. And uh, no, this was episode seven of a, of a nine-episode season, so we've got two more episodes left, and it seems like both Adam and Gigi are waiting for their for the whole season to be out before the Night TV uh, subscription trial can be used, and I see where you're coming from. Do not worry. Um, but um, to be the, the bearer of bad news... Will, Lewis, it's great to hear that as people that haven't played the game that the episode worked for you. Um, 
I played the game, enjoyed the DLC a lot. And for me, I just think, you know, being in that arcade, because obviously the whole premise of the episode is you get to see how Ellie got bit, as you mentioned, Will, and sort of a bit more of a backstory and where she's coming from. It's revealed that Ellie is either gay or bisexual in this episode, which is also brought over from the game. I remember that being a very big deal at the time. So I'm, I'm glad to see that it crossed over and it's been... Um, adapted successfully and I think that was a particular highlight for me because knowing that in my head I was kind of like impressed with Bella Ramsey's performance just some of the slight looks that she'd give uh, Storm Reed's character Riley like throughout the episode um, I'll let you chime in in a second Scott apologies but I'm just interested to see from Lewis and Will's perspective prior to the kiss moment actually happening was there a hint that maybe there was more than friendship there did they put that across Will's nodding oh, he's saying yes I think, yeah, you could tell. You could tell. I mean, at first, obviously, uh, as someone who's not played the game, this is the first time we're being introduced to the character Riley. And uh, it starts, I was thinking, oh, they're great friends, aren't they? Yeah, she she likes her a lot as a friend. And then it just, as it develops more, you can see um, there's little comments and subtle looks and stuff. So, um, subtle looks. So, uh, yeah, I think it is, it's obvious that the episode goes on. You sort of saw it come in. But it was still one of those where, like, uh, it still surprised you when it happened, yeah. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd completely agree. The same thing. I thought the performance by the actor who played Riley, by the way, was was brilliant. Like, just the sort of little nuances of, of reacting to things. Because it was such a character-driven episode. Obviously, it's a character-driven show. But in this, you know, it was basically in real time. Um, and there was so much nuance to the performance, you know, dipped and went in, in just a complete variety of emotions. So it was... a uh, is really impressive. I thought they both did a great job. And like uh, when Will mentioned earlier, this is you knew this would be the episode where you find out how Ellie got bit. I think I was proper on the edge of my seat when they, they first entered that building and they had the guy placed up against the wall looking like he was drunk and and all that. And, you know, I was expecting, oh, he's going to jump out, he's going to jump out. I kept saying it too. I was watching it with, oh, this is what's going to happen. And it didn't. And you just, oh, okay. So it kept you tense and on your seat the whole time to the point where you were starting to think, oh no, it won't happen now. Uh, and then that made you even more sort of wound up thinking, when will it happen? Yeah, there was there was quite a bit of time between when they revealed that the that infected, that clicker sort of character was up against the wall. And then they kind of left it just long enough so that you'd forget um, potentially that he, he was around. Obviously, you knew that he was going to get bit. Um, but the, my main issue with the episode, so I, I think I'm right in saying this, as the only person on the podcast who's played the game, and, and is currently watching the TV show. Scott's played the game, but hasn't watched it yet. Um, the, the, the main issue for me, I've got nothing against the, the performances of the characters or the content uh, that, that happened in between, but um, it was the whole framing device angle because obviously at the end of the last episode, unless you've played the game, you know that you know Joel is in a bad way. You know He's, he's injured. He, he can't look after Ellie anymore. And the episode kind of like opens with Ellie trying to care for for Joel, which very much the reverse of those roles than what we're used to seeing. And I think even having like very little lines, Pedro Pascal proves he still has that, carries that intensity in his eyes that when he's grabbing Ellie and he's like, you go, like leave me basically. I don't think he actually, I think he might've said go, but just in his eyes, I could tell like what he was telling her to do. And um, there, there was at least a couple points in the episode where it just felt really, it brought me out of that, Riley uh, Ellie relationship whenever we would flash back to to the present day so I think from that sense as someone who's played the game it made it very obvious that this was kind of like a DLC uh, sort of side story that we were seeing a, a bottle episode some might say 
But um, I, I'm really glad that that you enjoyed it, Will and and, and Lewis. Um, Scott, as someone who's not seen the the TV show yet, I'm interested in terms of the DLC. What are you hoping to see from the episode, or what do you hope will have been translated? And and we'll happily let you know if it is. So I guess listening to you three talk about it, you each have a kind of feeling of uh, Will's point of you know the tension. It's kind of mixed because you know what's happening and if it had been at the start of the season it would have been a great episode and then to your point of the framing device i do think and again i haven't watched it so maybe i'll agree with one of you when i do watch the show but i think because left behind was what a year after the game came out it's such an important part of ellie's character development because you can't do a season two of this show without going through Left Behind because it ties so much into The Last of Us Part Two. Um, so they kind of face the awkward situation of where do we put it? And I think from the sounds of things, doing it um, where they did, where Joel was hurt, is probably the best place for it. I can't imagine it really elegantly fitting into anywhere else. But at the same time, no, they had to do it, but also I feel like you could dedicate two whole episodes to what's about to happen in the game, at least from where I'm imagining we are. Um, the next episode's... About, yeah, what's, what's the um, Yeah, the next episode should be a doozy, but that part of the game could be two episodes or an episode and a half and then dedicate the last episode to the rest of it. But... It's, it's, yeah, it's a problem of how do you get this in there while keeping the flow of the original story um, because it wasn't a part of the original story. I think yeah. that's, from what I'm hearing, maybe the best part or best place to do it. And it's such a... Again, forgive me, I've not played Left Behind since it maybe came out around nine years ago, but... I just remember being like it leaving such an impression that you even if they didn't do it i feel like it'd be a waste not to it's the like relationship between riley and ellie is like you know it's still impactful even though it's what two hours of the total last of us tale um and i'm glad to hear they actually you know went forward with it and didn't do the disney thing of their game but we're not going to explicitly tell you they're just you know, there'll yeah. be a tiny little nod that we can take out to appeal to a terrible crowd. So I'm glad they at least went the full way with that and made it, you know, did it the right way, I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you, Scott, in terms of, well, you and your biggest fan in the YouTube chat, Gigi, at the moment, and that the next episode is going to be absolutely uh, high stakes, high risk, very tense. So, Will, we'll definitely have to get you back. Yeah, there's the comment there. The next bit coming up. Oh, and it's gone again. Thanks, Will. Um, <laughs> well, we'll have to get you back uh, next week uh, for for your thoughts on the game, uh, on the TV show, rather. Um, so, the, one of the other things I noticed, and Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, whether or not this happens in the DLC. But obviously, the the end of this episode is Riley and Ellie sort of like accepting what they think is death to end with. And one artistic choice, which I was really happy with, is that you don't actually see Riley turn. Like Ellie's last, what's her last memory of Riley to be like the Riley she knew and loved. And I thought that was a very clever way that the episode sort of like ended 
quite suddenly as it did so that there's no awkward moment where you know Riley has to you have to see Riley attack Ellie in that way um Lewis and Will what did you think of about that I thought I thought it was very tasteful tastefully handled um for me it just left me a little bit confused because <laughs> uh okay. I mean you know that I mean there's just so many questions obviously because you want to see the first moment when um when Ellie realizes she's can't or she's not going to turn you want to see that you want to see the reaction you want to know how that plays out I mean <laughs> take for, for instance the 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 third episode it's all it's all about how things end in that relationship uh and and then this with this it gives you everything up until the point that it ends and uh no i just i wanted to see i wanted to know what happened you know <laughs> sorry you wanted to see ellie having to potentially end the life of her best friend even if she's a clicker that's the entire show right <laughs> i mean the entire the entire turn of the show is this is what it would be like. It would just be people dying, people choosing to die, people realizing they have to die. That would be the entire world. And uh, yeah, yeah, so that's that's what I expected to see. Would, would that or not you be change to... it for or a you weird chess thing? With a oh, you've heard about that, Scott? Have you? Yeah, I've, I've watched that. That's all I've seen from the show. Yeah. I guess the only reason I think maybe they went against it was because would it be too similar to when Henry changed and Joel and Ellie had to, you know, come into conflict with that sort of scenario lewis did you like how the episode ended or did it feel leave you a little bit cold similar to will oh you're muted again buddy <laughs> it's like your mic um yeah a bit of both i think uh the way it ended was like you said tasteful but at the same time it, i did feel like i was left wanting maybe a little more in a different scenario um because like you said you want to see like the clickers and the fighting and all that stuff but then uh, at the same time it's not just like a non-stop killing and fighting show it's also a drama um and i think based you know it represented the relationship they had quite well just the way they ended and stuff how um she wanted to have her, her last memory being a good one in a way yeah so Go on, that is that is how it went at the game i believe i believe they were like sitting there accepting their fate i believe they talk about shooting themselves at one point but then they're like no we'll just rest together it'll be nice and then i think that's when it ends i don't think there's any shenanigans with Riley turning and all that but at the same time i get that i do think that's a good point well made that you want to see ellie's first reaction to realizing she's immune but at the same time I think the show has enough misery and this is a nice enough story. Like it's a sad ending, but it's like, a, you know, a bittersweet kind of ending until Ellie obviously realizes that that isn't the case. And I feel like there's maybe just enough misery in the show and there's definitely going to be enough misery in the show when season two comes around because that is one of the most oppressively distressing games I've ever played. So, you know, a nice moment every so often is probably a good thing to have yeah, I think Will made a good comparison between this episode uh, and episode three, which is probably still my uh, top episode uh, because it's such a beautiful standalone story told by itself. And that, that that goes back to what I was saying earlier, whereas I think from from the perspective of someone who's played the game, every episode, whether or not it's hit on a, an existing beat in the game or done something new, it's been additive to the main uh, last of the story that we know. Whereas this was very much a beat for beat for beat 
this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. So I'm at least knowing that I think I was always going to go in disappointed. And the expectation of the show so far has kind of led me to believe that I will be getting more than just what's in the game. And this was the first episode where I really didn't get any of that. So it's at least good to know that um, from the perspective of Will and Lewis, who haven't yet played the game, that it, it works for them and that the emotional beats hit for them as well. Um, Adam L in the YouTube chat, um, being um, uh, uh, providing quite the callback, I will say. I'm sorry, I'm just reliving the trauma. He, uh, he says, what we really need is the mountain coming in and doing his thing to Joel. Um, hand orange covering eyes. I imagine he's, that's that emoji right there. Um, and what I'd say to that is, hasn't Pedro Pascal suffered enough? Hasn't he suffered enough? <laughs> I'm, I'll not um, say anything too much, but he's, he's due to suffer a bit more. So, you know, look forward to... Uh, Again, the Scott, the, Scott, the spoiler. That's not a spoiler. I'm just saying Last of Us 2 is very sad and all the characters go through a lot. Yeah. So he's, yeah. he's still, you know, he's still due to go through a lot and that's going to be tougher when yeah. he's not babysitting little gremlins. Does he still do that? I've not watched Man Florian. <laughs> I, I think that's his second job, isn't it, Pedro Pascal? He's an actor first, the internet's daddy second, and then third, he's like, you know, TV daddy for everybody. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, um, Lewis, Will, out of interest, did you watch the next time trailer for the next episode eight of The Last of Us at all? Will's saying no. No. I've avoided watching trailers for each episode. I, I don't see the point in it, to be honest, because I, there's only... I don't get how you can show an episode as a trailer. I feel like you give away too much because it's an episode which is not very long, max an hour. So you'll you'll figure out half the storyline alone just from watching the trailer. So I like to stay away from them. But fair enough, yeah, keeping yourself yeah, silly. I, I go back and forth. Uh, sometimes I watch them. Sometimes I don't. Uh, completely at random, and I don't I don't know what inspires me to to watch them and what doesn't. But uh, yeah, I tend to tend to avoid them. I haven't watched it this time now. No worries. Um, as I mentioned uh, last week, though, um, I we didn't get to talk about The Last of Us episode then. So just very briefly, seeing as we've got a rare appearance from producer Will on the podcast and Lewis is around too, how did you think, what did you make of Sam and Henry and, and how that story ended and what did it tell you about the characters that you didn't know before previously? Putting you on the spot. <laughs> um. Well, there was no, there's no Sam and Henry in the last episode, was there? That, that was the episode before, right? Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, you're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I beg your pardon. Um, but I mean, I knew nothing about the characters. Obviously, I haven't played the game. Uh, thought that episode was simmering down for a nice sort of calm finish, and then, uh, yeah, horrible, <laughs> horrible ending. I mean, just... caught you by surprise. Yeah, and you just sort of put yourself in that position. You sort of think because obviously. Spoiler, if you if, if you haven't already heard the many spoilers we've said, but if uh, I mean you start thinking, what would you do as an older brother in that situation? It's just yeah, horrific. But uh, yeah, pretty pretty intense. I do think there's yeah. a there's sort of a structuring not issue, but there's a lot of times Say when it. there's a lot of times when it feels like they've just sort of dragged and dropped segments from from what is sort of a one continuous game and just sort of gone. That's the episode. So it feels like. In terms of format or structure, there's not like a, a clean, self-contained episode a lot of the time. Yeah, which from what it, it, sorry, I've been, it sounds very like monster of the week almost, not like actual monster of the week. But it's like, okay, here's the Tess episode, here's the Bill episode, here's the David episode, here's the left back. Like it seems very 
like to what you were saying, it seems very like they have a topic each week, and then it's the next thing, and then yeah. Sorry, go I think that's that's probably that's probably more to tailor for the audience who haven't played the game, I guess, isn't it? Because if they hadn't had the the episodes sort of delving into their backstory and stuff, I would have a clue what was going on because I haven't played the game. As if you have played the game, you probably don't need that backstory. Yeah. I would say about the Sam and Henry stuff, though, Scott, um, when you eventually do get around to watching it, that was sort of broken into, it was almost the, the season's one and only two-parter so far. Um, and you don't even really get to meet Sam and Henry until episode five, I think it would be, because um, as Will quite rightly pointed out and corrected me, episode six was the the Tommy stuff played by uh, Diego Luna, who I'm a big fan of, um, in addition to Pedro Pascal. Um, but I think we'll... We'll sum up this discussion about the latest Last of Us episode with an earlier comment from Adam L. Um, and you can lend your perspectives into this. It would be a great way to conclude the conversation, I think. He says, here's an interesting one. As someone who hasn't watched the series or played the games, which one should I experience first? So we've touched upon it a little bit as part of this discussion. I get the impression that Will and Lewis don't feel like they're missing out on anything. But obviously, in the case of the current episode, I think... This is the first time from someone who's played the game where I feel like I've not had a lot to be taken from it. But Will and Lewis, I guess you don't feel like you're missing out in the slightest and you you feel like you're getting a complete story, right? Yeah, I, I guess it depends how you take things in. Do you prefer learning things by playing it in a game or watching it in a, on a screen? Because for me, it's the latter. And, you know, getting those surprises, which I wouldn't I would have known if I played the game first um getting those surprises in a film is a lot more shocking to me as i feel like if i did that in a game i just wouldn't feel that same like emotion towards it that's just me personally um so i guess it depends on on what you prefer doing <laughs> yeah will would you pl play this or you're yeah. happy watching yeah it was sort of mixed part of me wants to sort of roam around um like overground cityscapes and climb up sort of ivy covered tower blocks and stuff like that it sounds brilliant that's the sort of thing i want to do <laughs> but I, I can't spend too long playing sort of bleak dark environments in urban settings and fighting scary things it's just uh it's too much for me so uh, mixed i think but uh, i definitely feel like i'm not missing out i, I mean i don't feel like it's such a well-regarded game obviously obviously i want to play it you know yeah, I'm kind of sat here wondering how Will and Lewis haven't managed to play the game since people have been banging on about it for ten for ten years. Um, yeah. And then and then Scott, do you how are you planning on tackling it? Are you waiting for the entire thing to come out, similar to our friends Gigi and Adam in the chat, or is is there have you just not got around to it yet? I've not found the time. Uh, yeah, I'm probably going to watch it once it's all done. Me and my partner are going to watch it. Now she's not played the game, and I mm. have so. Kind of get both perspectives as I'm watching it, I suppose. I mean, on one hand, I think it's you probably do miss kind of some of the set dressing if you haven't played the game. But again, I haven't seen the show, so I can't exactly speak to that. But also experiencing a very good story that, let's be real, doesn't really need to be a game to be told. Um, experiencing that story without a bunch of tedious ladder puzzles or tedious pushing a piece of cardboard <laughs> for the water is pretty good. And also, I'm interested to see how they deal with Last of Us 2 because that game is long. Very long. Like two seasons worth of show. 
but a way to condense Last of Us 2 down would be very appreciated because <laughs> as I said, it's hard to kind of sit and just for what, I think mine was I looked at my save yesterday, it was about 30, 40 hours and it was like just endless bleak, there's not a happy moment in that entire game, you know, so maybe cutting that up a bit more and condensing it a bit more would do well for the sequel, but it's I, again I can't speak to it, but I think either way seems valid. But I would probably play the game first. Yeah, what what I've heard from other people that have done both as well is that they very much work as like companion pieces, and that you get different things from it. Like particularly with the Bill and Frank stuff, as Will and Lewis, like I'm pretty sure you know there's no way you could do that in a game, at least in the style of The Last of Us. So, um, my advice would be to choose either or. Like if you want to just soak up a story and you know sort of like immerse yourself in it without having to sort of like worry about what you what you yourself are doing, I'd say the TV show works just as well as the game. But having said that, both uh, types of media will lend. A different perspective on the other one if that makes sense and scott on your point in terms of like season two unless we go back to the days of like 22 25 episode seasons like i'm talking lost or hero style i agree with you that season two which we know neil Druckmann, the creative director as the game has announced will follow the same uh, narrative as the games i think they have to split that into two seasons um but that will mm. yeah i think pedro pascal will have some unique opportunities should they do that as well I'm quite Scott. excited to watch. I've heard, I've not been spoiled, but I've heard enough about the show that makes me really excited to watch this Bill episode because you realize something you can't do in the game. And I hear the first episode gives you a bit more um, Sarah than you got in the game. Yeah. So, like, I'm excited to watch it from that, but I'm excited to watch it from that as someone who has played the game as opposed to someone watching for the first time. So, yeah, I think the parts of Last of Us 2 to kind of go back that were the best were these kind of more slow, introspective moments, like the way the Bill episode sounds. So maybe that will end up being better as a TV show than it was as a game because of that. Um, but that definitely is the stuff I'm looking forward to the most in the show as compared to the game. Cool. Well, I think on that note, as we look ahead to future seasons of The Last of Us, we'll wave goodbye and bring this uh, latest entry of the Mirror Gaming walkthrough to an end. Um, but again, Lewis, Scott, Will, thank you so much for joining me. Particular Scott, uh, particularly Scott for the Elden Ring uh, stuff and Lewis for the uh, FIFA stuff as well. I know we were peppering you both with questions there and I was sort of just mediating. Uh, Will was laughing to himself off screen to the side there, as one does. But yeah, thank you everyone who's been watching uh, either live or on catch up via YouTube or uh, Facebook. Um, we'll be right back next week with more Mirror Gaming walkthrough. But until then, have a nice day, guys. Bye bye.